So as always, thank you for joining me. Enjoy the podcast. Kick back and relax. The force is strong and is with us always. And never forget. We have hope. Rebellions are built on hope. of this moment the force is strong make ten men feel like a hundred I'll take the next chance and the next you're rebels aren't you You call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen of The Bizzle cast, welcome back to the podcast. You picked a wonderful, wonderful day or night to join us because I'm here with one of my closest friends from back in the Wesleyan college days. You've met Smiley, you've met Andreas, and this guy is just as much part of the picture of my college life and post-college life at Wesleyan, which you guys know I talk about all the time. His name is Kevin Haas. He's a photographer. He's a musician. He's a travel agent. He's a traveler. He's a world traveler, capital W, capital T. Kevin Haas, there's so much to describe you. I don't want to do it all right now. It'll come across. But guys, this is really a huge honor and pleasure to have one of my close friends from college and earliest friends from college on the show that we've been trying to make for so long kevin welcome oh thanks so much bizzle the pleasure is mine it's my honor howdy ho to all those bizzle podcast list listeners out there so guys we're gonna have some stories because kevin haas opened my mind and eyes to so many things i never thought was possible before but kevin haas I want to hear a little bit about where you're from, where you're at, whatever you want to talk about, but I want to set up for the listeners really quickly, even though we didn't live in the same dorm freshman year, we immediately became friends, and you, my friend, introduced me directly to Fela Kuti, which literally changed my life, both career-wise and personal-wise, and I just always remember that moment of you handing me the Fela Kuti CD, and let's be honest, man, then we'll go back a little bit earlier, music was like the one guiding thing for all of us, right, at that time. Oh, yeah, certainly growing up, uh, most of my discretionary spending went towards yeah. CDs, compact discs. Oh, man. The, the round silver things so that old. kids used to uh, listen to music on mm-hmm. after tape cassettes, before digital music. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, CDs. And then in school, you that was your identity was your CD book, or should I say books, albums of books. Yeah. So you'd go to someone's dorm room and you'd say, okay, this Jesse kid, let's check him out. Let's see what kind of what kind of CDs do you have in your CD albums? And that was a huge, you know, part of our identity. I think has been for a long time, you know, music, but just the CD books. Cause that contained all your music, your whole music collection. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and for me, where I came from yes. in this so-called heartland, mm-hmm. uh, possibly oh, yeah. one of the reddest states about that. of uh, the United States, that. as yeah. far as red, blue politics goes. Yep. Um, I was really heartened that all these kids, all of a sudden, everyone was in the same music I was into. People knew Aphex Twin and Fela Kuti and Bjork and were <laughs> just uh, all kinds of music that I thought was unusual or strange or even Radiohead, which seems very pop kind of uh yeah know, it wasn't all then, these kids though, were right. into yeah. the same music i was and uh-huh. it, was, it was really heartening all of a sudden to sort of find my tribe of at least 
kids who like the same music I did, which was saying a lot. Mm-hmm. So, Kevin, um, I'm going to keep delaying the biography question because we will get to it. Guys, Kevin's from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And so, dude, like, I always respected your opinion just for the opinion itself because you're a smart guy. But the fact that you're from the heartland, and let's be honest, most of us were from the hard northeast coast, uh, it gave you a perspective about the culture at large and in smaller bits about what's going on. And so I was always fascinated. And your parents are absolutely lovely, but there were just not that many straight up like southern or midwestern kids at Wesleyan. It was really interesting. Interesting. And all you and all your brothers have explored that in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it was it was different for me, but I I remember even sort of let's say pre and and then sort of during or post Wesleyan, but sort of being down on humanity in general, like feeling pessimistic about my fellow humans and peers. Um, but being at Wesleyan totally changed that because I thought mm. there were so many people who were so creative and incredible and uh, um, talented or, or whatever, interesting uh, or just fun or interesting to talk to. Uh, that was, yeah, definitely a life changer, very different culturally than sort of the, the Jesus and barbecue uh, culture of Oklahoma. So that's interesting, man. So when you got to school, and let's be honest, I was already <laughs> like, two, man. Yes. When uh, I was already two years older than you guys, basically, because I was already old for my grade, and then I took a year off and lived in Israel with some time in Jordan and Egypt and so forth. And so I was old. I was like, you know, I got my twenty first uh, twenty uh, one year old uh, license at the beginning of sophomore year. Like, that's how old I was. I was the guy buying the kegs because I was the only guy who could buy the fucking kegs. And then they put the label on it, and so we had to peel off the label so that I wouldn't get arrested or in trouble when the kegs inevitably got taken by public safety. But anyway, so you were already feeling pessimistic coming into college, which is interesting, man, because I lived in Israel the year before, right right when the Intifada started. And so we went from everything being peaceful, and then three weeks later, there was just fires and fighting everywhere in the country. And you know what happened? I came to Wesleyan, and two weeks later, 9-11 happened. It was like two years in a row. I was like, I can't get away from this. Um, And we all experienced that with tons of our friends who were from New York. And so forth but so you would you say like you were like i need to get out again being from oklahoma it's someplace totally different and that's why you were looking at it or wesleyan um like like how did you end up there because honestly even people from my my school which is a very good public school in pennsylvania most of them didn't never heard of uh wesleyan before yeah so it starts back to really my older brother so even though my father has several degrees in education and they really my parents really believed in public education they figured that they didn't want their final son to become a pot smoking hippie like they feared their other two sons had become (laughs) and so they sent me to one of tulsa's finest college preparatory schools Mm -hmm. uh, an episcopalian school that was not very episcopalian but in name it was such and so that kind of uh, opened my eyes to uh, different sort of uh, small liberal arts schools in the Northeast and like Ivy League schools. You know, I had friends going, applying to all these other places. And it also opened my eyes. I knew people who had studied abroad uh, through the Mm -hmm. uh, American Field Service program where you uh, 
live in as an exchange student in another nation. And so when I was a junior in high school, I spent seven months in Italy. And that really sort of opened my mind, having never lived outside the yeah, uh, people, U.S. or anywhere other than be, Oklahoma. Just to be clear, Kevin, so listeners, Kevin actually speaks Italian because well, he's going to talk about it, but he went back again for an extended period, right? <laughs> so your Italian's pretty good, or it was really good at one point. Ma certo, c'era un, <laughs> un momento quando potevo parlare And Italian Kevin's such a good-looking, charismatic so, guy to begin with, so. guys. You just get angry at him that he also speaks Italian. It's just, you know, like, all those beautiful Italian girls. God bless you, my friend. God bless you. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yes. So living in Italy just opened up my mind and, yes. and what made me want to live somewhere else. I also wanted to continue some sort of Italian studies in my education. Um, but I was happy to sort of go far away from Oklahoma yep. and go into a Malou that was something different. Mm-hmm. Um. Can we talk Italy for a little bit? Yeah. I want to hear why. I don't think we've actually had the conversation. I mean, there's obvious reasons to want to spend time in Italy, but I'm not sure we've actually had that sort of philosophical conversation, which is, by the way, dude, part of why I love having my friends on the podcast, we have these philosophical conversations that come up that maybe we wouldn't normally... But I often talk about how the similarities between Jews and which I'm Jewish and Catholics, but specifically Italian Catholics, when you talk about the family, the strong maternal figure, the food, the sort of like always trying to figure out if someone's Jewish or Italian kind of thing. Like there's, you know, you can always find similarities between people. Uh, but for some reason, Jews and Italians are, are very, very similar, both coming from the Mediterranean as well. And so I've always had that connection there i have a ton of italian friends irish as well also catholic you know a lot of similarities and in, in the religion what was it for you um being pretty solidly like i'm not gonna say like you were practicing like i say i'm jewish it's my you know ethnic identity whatever solidly protestant right but protestant background what was like not that you have to talk about religion but what was that like with your initial impact and sort of intersection and experience of italy <laughs> Yeah, and at that point in my life, I don't know if I would identify as a Protestant, but I was raised that way. Background, that background, that's what I'm saying, background, yeah. Um, but I have no Italian background or heritage, mm -hmm. so it wasn't that, no family, no ancestry in Italy. Really, I was studying Latin in high school, that was the language I was taking, and so I had kind of gotten interested in Roman history a little bit, and Latin, and Latin seemed to, or the, you know, in terms of modern languages, Italian seemed like the closest. Listen to him, kids out there, kids out Latin. there, listen to what he's saying. <laughs> so, um, other than that, I love soccer. I had a Latin teacher who talked about his trips in, to Italy, and I just thought, what if I could get that out of Oklahoma Floppers. and go somewhere and... My parents were paying for my private high school education. I looked at the price of studying abroad, and oh I thought, boy. you know, if they're willing to pay this, maybe yeah. they'll pay this instead. Um, and somehow tricked my parents into letting me go because I don't think they ha really had intentions of letting me go at first. But somehow I sneaked sneaked through. And no, my parents didn't want me to go to Africa either. But I think they made the exact calculation, which is like. If we don't let our son do this, he's going to rebel against us, and it's going to be much worse, and so we'll just give in. I think is probably the calculation in both cases, because <laughs> my parents did not want me, although they ended up visiting me in Africa months later and loved it, loving it, but at the time, they were not into the idea whatsoever. 
Yeah. I, I don't know. I just, I was able to, to make it happen. Even a couple of weeks before I left, my mom said something to me like, you know, Kevin, I still haven't told you that you can go. So you better watch out because I'm going to find a reason to, you know, keep yeah. you from going or something. I don't know. I guess that's their job, right? I, it's supposedly their job. So, okay, buddy. So let's back up to the beginning, which I put off because I wanted to jump into some headier questions. Guys, we're going to get back to some very heady questions. But where are you from? You're from Tulsa, Oklahoma. You talk a little as much, little or as much as you like um, about this um, and just how it informs you. Because let's be honest, like as much as you, you were very excited to get away I think in some ways like we all were uh, you, you still have a connection and you're fairly close with your family you know even if you don't go home a ton or maybe you do um, and so how has that sort of informed your life because dude I was just having a political discussion with my parents today about this exact topic about like the things that were good and not good in the recent election are more important in states from Michigan to Oklahoma more than Pennsylvania and California. Um, and so, you know, we'll see how little or much political we want to get, but you were certainly very conscious of that and that informed your, your academic work. Let's be honest. Yes. Let's be honest, Jesse. Uh, yeah. So, Let's be, actually, let's, be honest. Uh, <laughs> let's not be honest yeah <laughs> let's be honest let's be honest here let's be honest. Um, come on i'm trying to be a radio not, host can we this is not fake news no this is no we are real news one thousand percent real shit ladies yes. and gentlemen yep. so really i'm from a town a suburb outside tulsa called broken arrow um broken arrow broken arrow sort of you know, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a sort of small, small, well, now it's sort of big suburb. Um, you know, maybe even 100,000 people in Broken Arrow. Um, but kind of unassuming, strip malls, golf courses. Something interesting about the Broken Arrow Tulsa area, though, um, is some might call it the buckle of the Bible Belt, as there are several evangelical universities and, or a, an, an evangelical university, evangelical college that has uh, yeah. reached to many nations around the world where they have uh, programs and campuses all around the world. And lots of folks come to Rama Bible College in Broken Arrow, which has an insane psychedelic Christmas light display <laughs> on the holidays, and to uh, Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, which uh, Oral Roberts was sort of the first televangelist to raise over a million dollars in the 1970s. And he is sort of the father of uh, the televangelism, the one saying, you know, give me money and, uh, you know, sow your, sow your money, like S-O-W, so, <laughs> and you will make more money, um, what they call the prosperity teaching. Like, donate money to me and it'll make you rich or it'll make me rich, you know, one of those things. Mm-hmm. So that kind of grew out of uh, Broken Arrow and Tulsa Evangelical College University. So that was sort of the social milieu, how it affected me. You know, I grew up in a Methodist church, and really the, I mean, I would say sort of the, um, some of the teachings of, of Jesus, Jesus Christ's supposed teachings uh, that Savior. we were in the Methodist yep. church, really did inform sort of my um, moral compass. Mm-hmm. what's right, what's wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, you help out others, you love your neighbor, you love your enemy. Um, you, um, the goal, the idea of the golden rule, the concept of the golden rule is like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, also in Oklahoma, I will say, you know, having spent significant time on both 
East and West Coast of the United States. People are incredibly genuine. People are not pretentious. They're very kind. I mean, that being said, I am a, uh, you know, a white male. People at least are kind to me. I don't know the experience of other races and ethnicities, how they feel uh, walking around Oklahoma. You know, there is someone from maybe this East Coast audience. Someone once came, I don't remember who it was, once came to Tulsa. I think this is a writer from New York. He once came to Tulsa and he said, never in my life had I felt so gay and so Jewish Hmm. as I did when I was in Oklahoma, hmm. though I am neither gay nor Jewish, just from New York City. That's okay. My main group from Australia is totally gay, and I'm totally Jewish, and so it's a great combination. So, yeah, and by the way, dude, I have more listeners than you might think in the UK and Australia, mostly awesome. American audience, so definitely don't feel like you need to, like, you shouldn't over-explain, like, you, like what you're doing is great. Keep, you know, keep telling people, because some people have literally no context and are, are really interested in this kind of stuff. Um, but I will say, as a Jewish person, the mega church thing and the obsession with Jesus are two things that Jews just cannot understand whatsoever. Um, and uh, it's it's a fa- it's fascinating. I mean, we live exclusively in East and West Coast cities, essentially, um, and so that 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 is a fascinating culture. But yeah, I mean, I my whole realization studying religion and philosophy at Wesleyan ultimately doing a thesis and stuff was that religion was used at by the high levels to do horrible things throughout history but at the low normal people levels is kind of a positive force at times and i never it was very hard for me to reconcile that thing um because i experienced something similar i think or at least my studies and what i have experienced of it is something similar yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, at the very least, creates a sense of community, belonging, a sense of hope. I mean, there are many positive things. And what I find really troubling is that a lot of Christians are doing in Oklahoma or wherever in the middle of the country, They are pers- some of them are pursuing what they perceive to be the highest good possible. They are, you know, they think of themselves as very ethical people doing the highest good, which is proselytizing, turning other people on to Christ, saving them. And they think that is the highest good they can do. What's really gotten spun and out of control, and we could talk about, because Oklahoma used to be a totally democratic state, and Mm -hmm. not saying that, you know, Democrat is necessarily good, but I think it leans towards better than the Republican side of things. better, but yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Is that the... the evangelical church and the right wing sort of used a few issues uh, to galvanize uh, this right wing Christian uh, voting block to mm-hmm. spin it to be Republican, which is namely yeah. what they call family issues, uh, uh, gay rights and abortion, or I, or I guess not gay rights, but gay issues, let's say, and gay marriage and abortion. Use those to turn the churches uh, Republican, basically. Because they're not talking about the ethical issues of maybe yeah. killing children in the Middle East. They just really yeah. utilize those two issues and it spun everything in the 90s and turned can blue I, states red. Can, can I give you my some controversial reply on this? Of course. Trump did not win because of a record turnout of Oklahomans and Texans. Trump won because he won previously blue states like Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania, which I live in. And 
the most dangerous thing in this country right now is the sort of apathetic upper middle class suburbanite east coast west coast some of like chicago area etc people who either don't care enough to vote or will even vote for trump because they're doing really well economically and they don't necessarily agree with everything basically what i'm saying is hillary won the election by three million votes but the votes that mattered were in states like pennsylvania which went heavily for obama on every level in both of his elections and to me that's the much more disturbing thing i'm not saying it'll be more disturbing to live in oklahoma or live in pennsylvania depending on where you are obviously things are very different but pennsylvania does have a very disturbing combination of poor rednecks and rich suburbanites who just don't give enough of a fuck um and to be honest with you man i have become a two-issue voter almost since i started voting in 2000 i am a two-issue voter uh, uh, well i'm uh, maybe three if you count health care but other than health care education in the environment. I'm, I'm literally a two-issue voter on education in the environment. I think every single problem, current and future, that we're facing right now, for the most part, comes from one or both of those two things. And Here, here. Yeah, I think those are two yeah. of some of the most important issues. Absolutely. So and and of course yeah, uh, my comments ahead. I wasn't really yeah. commenting on the recent uh, no, no 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 I was Trump moving wave. into a new place just I was moving it totally yeah, yeah just commenting yeah. on the weird yeah 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 these places that we assume are yeah. red yeah and in fact you're saying oh it doesn't even play into Trump's candidacy you know but didn't used to be red uh, and now they're you know completely red but well, I, Hillary I smoked uh, no but here's what, in, in the primaries of 2008 when there was still the democrats 2008 hillary destroyed barack obama in pennsylvania and i was campaigning for obama during the primaries in 2008 before he even had the nomination he got wrecked by hillary but then he won pennsylvania by a ton in 08 in 2012 and then hillary lost pennsylvania somehow in 2016, I'm just trying to figure out how this happens. And I think, dude, with a 40% approval rating for Trump, we just have to accept that, like I said, the education system has severely failed with the economic system, almost a majority of this country at this point. Mm-hmm. Right? Or, or, or it has succeeded for big corporations that are making a lot of money because keeping the people dumb is helping them. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. Well, for the healthcare companies, I can see that, but like (laughs) the tech companies and stuff, like I, I know they're evil and they just want money, but I'm not willing to give people a pass based on greedy corporations because in the history of capitalism from here to China in history, corporations have been greedy as shit. Yeah. I mean, I think as a people still, we should prioritize education and get folks smart enough so that they can think critically and, Mm -hmm. you know, consider what people say and think critically about it. And you know, make yeah, no, I'm, I'm pushing this. Just, I'm pushing this. I'm pushing this. Yeah, because you know where this is going. Which is, I supported Hillary long before Bernie Sanders joined the race. Long before it was vote Hillary or death. You know, with Trump. Blah blah blah. I supported Hillary, but I saw the sexism and the classism from miles away with her. It did not shock me in the end that people betrayed her. 
is so sad. And I'm talking about my own city, Philadelphia, which came out and supported Obama like crazy and didn't come out and vote for Hillary. But let and me ask you people this. to say that it's just a Clinton thing is nonsense because if she were a man, she would have won the election. She didn't win the election. And to ignore the fact that she was a woman and that didn't play a part, I just, I'm sorry. You don't have to love Hillary, but to say that being her being a woman didn't play a part is bullshit. Sorry, go ahead. Sure, and I'm certainly not one saying that. But knowing what you know, and being a Hillary fan, and knowing that, let's Supporter. say, her sex hurt her strategically yeah. in the race, yeah. would you would you support her being posed as a as a candidate again in 2020? No. And she would never do it because she understands the writing on the wall. She keeps losing. It's never going to happen. Good. I heard. I saw something on. I don't know. You know. I don't know if there's business. No. Biden is the one people are worried about. But good. But Biden would be the easy one, and Hillary's definitely not. Yeah. Good. Yeah. The thing is, dude, Barack Obama was it was one of the best things to happen to this country, but it was also one of the worst because it gave people the idea that. If you're idealistic and black and smart and well-spoken, you can become president and change everything. But the problem was Obama had this idea that if he just told everybody his great ideas, we'd all fall in line because of the inspiration and the brilliance of the ideas. Not having to do with his ego, but just in the sense of like he believed too much in the human spirit. And maybe this is what you were talking about earlier when you were talking about you know uh, having a loss of, of faith and in humanity and so forth. Was uh, for me Obama's biggest problem, and I'm a giant defender of Barack Obama, is that he believed too much that if people are presented with the right information at the right time, they will make the right decision. And I think history, both right, both recent and ancient, shows that that is not the case whatsoever well why do you think he was so naive do you think he was really he's a true idealist he really believes it he truly thinks people are good deep down and can't understand it which is why michelle is the one doing all the talking because her fucking husband is like in fucking he's probably hospitalized in trauma for what this country's doing right now it's not his america like obama was elected in the opposite of what's going on right now in this country and that's why it's even more shitty scary and terrible than than normal but but I will say, and I, I'm certainly a, an Obama fan in general. But I will say immediately after his election, I mean, gosh, that's so long ago. What are we so talking about? Ten years I ago, know. eleven years ago, um, <clears throat> there was all this hope, and it really seemed like he was going to shake things up. He was going to change a yeah. ton, right? And then it didn't seem like he was going forward and doing a lot. And I might posit that you know. People that look like young men that look like him are maybe facing some of the biggest hurdles in our society in America in general. And I thought maybe for the black communities, for the young black men, you know, being incarcerated at very high rates and um, I mean, all kinds of issues. Um, I thought he was going to do more. And in general, he was going to do more across the board, all over the place. Yeah. And I don't know if he just had sort of you know, death threats from the inside saying, we're just going to kill your children. If you really make all this change, you better. No, he didn't. I can't believe he survived eight years. If he's just naive, as you're saying, such an intelligent, it's not naive. He's just, he's, he's idealistic. He's convinced himself. That sounds naive to me to just say t- if he says the right things, we're all well, going to... Well, because his very existence, the very existence of a person like a Barack Obama with his background, heritage, ethnicity, etc., 
to rise to the point of presidency, you can understand. I can understand why he would have a name, even yeah, yeah. Barack Hussein Obama, president of the country. You know, socialized healthcare, even though it wasn't fully implemented, killed Osama bin Laden, strong foreign president. I mean, he's literally (laughs) Osama bin Laden. Sure, yes. Well, what I'm saying is, you and I are super liberals, but for the normal part of the country, even the like, let's say, right of center, like Republican but sort of moderate Republicans, respected him. They never respected Hillary. The, The Democrats never respected Hillary. It was obviously a bad choice in retrospect. But again, if you go to healthcare, education, and the climate change, Hillary would clearly be like a, an upgrade to an insane degree on all of those points right now. And oh, no doubt. I, mean, I, I, I think all of I our don't friends. Even think the clown in the White House is even worth like, you know, giving him attention. It's like giving a bully or, you know, just someone in the classroom you know too much attention it's like you ignore them or something i don't know but it's hard well no but here's an interesting question though kev which is you know like there were there were a lot of great celebrities and other just smart people like sarah silverman for example who were big bernie supporters but when like you know they can he conceded to hillary many of them were very good you know supportive of hillary and like moving and like okay whatever whatever this is our candidate like we they need to get elected blah blah but there were a lot of people who never forgave hillary thought you know that bernie was like the next messiah and like the bernie sanders campaign really hurt the hillary campaign the problem is as a liberal i need to support the existence of people like bernie sanders but as a realist the the republicans get in line so fucking easily and we as liberals fight each other and then by the time the election happens we're divided a couple things well let me comment on the last thing first I was just reading something today how saying, well, with Nancy Pelosi in charge of the House, she knows how to get the Democrats in line. Like they will follow her. She's a good leader, whereas the Republican House leaders could not get their party to follow them in line. And she will get the party to follow, which is maybe a good positive thing. Um, Talking about how the Sanders campaign did uh, not support Hillary. I would disagree with that because I was really following it closely. And officially, the Sanders campaign definitely said, "Okay, Hillary is our candidate now. But there are all these out, you know. Part, the movement behind Bernie didn't all accept that. But I think partly because there was a lot of bitterness because the Democratic Party did not um, – I mean, they in no way from the beginning were sort of giving Bernie a fighting chance. Um, but also he wasn't part of the Democratic Party ever. You know, he was running on the Democratic ticket, but he's been independent forever. Before that, years before in Vermont, he was uh, part of some – other small party like something like the peace and freedom party i don't remember what it was called but um you know so he's never really been part of the democratic party and i think people were bitter that the democratic party did things um and now i'd have to do some research if we really want to get into it but it's he used the democratic party for his platform totally yeah he was not a democrat so i don't know if the democratic party necessarily needed to give bernie a fair chance because it's not his party but as a Bernie supporter, and, you know, he, he didn't want to kind of fraction into three parties, you know, going for the Democratic mm-hmm. ticket. Um, I don't know. It's, 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 <laughs> it's well, a complicated here's, thing. Here's but, the problem, Kev, uh, Kev. I'm going to step it up to the next level, which is yeah. Hillary won the election by millions of votes and still lost, A, okay? Because of gerrymandering, 
winning the Senate, the fact that Democrats won the House is incredible, but the Senate, it's an unwinnable with the gerrymandering of district lines and so forth in this country for the Republicans. And so the people who say, well, Bernie would have won where Hillary lost, people, Hillary won <laughs> by three million votes and the still lost. And, yeah, unfortunately. In yeah, every haven't. other country in the world, she would have won that election by a landslide, and well, she of loses. Course, of course, when Bush was elected in 2000 over questionable victory in Florida, um, I thought there was going to be like this movement to get rid of the Electoral College because it just seems so asinine when we can actually have a true popular vote and mm-hmm. let the the populace decide where everyone gets an equal vote, where someone from Wyoming's vote doesn't count six times much as a Californian's vote in the presidential election. Now, why do they get more priority than us? Um, maybe we need to get rid of the Electoral College. We're too big. We need to split up as a country. We're t- I think geographically... We need to split into like three or four units. It's just, it's so, it's so ginormous. I can be, I mean, I can be my own nation. I'm ready to be my own. (laughs) There's so much going on just right here. Yeah. Um, But Kevin, you have to admit that like you wake up every day and whether you read social media or newspapers or news websites or whatever, it's the same outrage that Trump said something horrible and it's, it's all fake news. I don't do any of it. Oh, no, no. But let's assume Instagram. it's real news of the response to something Trump actually said or did, which is we're just giving him the attention that he wants. Like oh, Trump yeah. wakes up and soaks in us hating him. So we need to stop giving him so much attention, first of all, and focus on like doing other things other than being offended by Trump, which we know is going to happen. Go ahead. Yeah, I agree. I <laughs> initially when Trump was running and he was saying outrageous things and the media was following him like crazy, you know, just hanging on to every word. And I thought I just have to ignore this. This is such stupidity. Yeah. You know, this clown will never be our president and I don't want to follow his candidacy because this is just a waste of time and we'll forget about him once this thing is over. But of course, it didn't happen. And now he's all over the news. And I, I just sort of try to avoid that news. I do listen to uh, radio sometimes, certainly Amy Goodman's Democracy Now! Yeah. Yeah. Um, among just some like local public radio. Um, That's the thing. Amy Goodman used to be seen as an extreme left wing figure. But like you, all you need to do is follow people like Chris Evans and Sarah Silverman, and they're cursing out Trump on a daily basis online to social media to tens of millions of followers. I mean, that's the thing. Trump is so reviled, even by very famous and powerful people, but we can't do anything about it because of the presidential system. I mean, in England, you just hold a no-confidence vote, and that's it. Who 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 makes that vote? Who gets the vote? Parliament. If you if you vote two thirds in Parliament at any point, you just get rid of whoever's in charge if you want to and hold a new vote. That's a no confidence vote. Parliamentary okay, so, system. Most so most we need systems. to get rid of the electoral college and we need to instill the no confidence vote. Okay, can you put these on your to do list? And <laughs> make happen. At least in my nation. Uh-huh. I don't know about your nation, but my uh-huh. nation over here, those will be on the table for sure. <laughs> Well, my nation of urination, we have other issues, but uh, <laughs> but honestly, dude, are you talking like, about urination? Now? Urination. 
Uh, but seriously, let's just get uh, rid of all the borders and all be one giant world community. Would that be even better? Just have I think that with every stupid thing. By the way, the amount of things that Trump has actually destroyed within our domestic system in terms of governmental laws or things like healthcare is almost zero. Trump has spent two years doing nothing other than blustery dialogue. Like, I have state health care that's still really good. Obamacare is still in place. Social Security is still in place. Medicaid and Medicare are still in place. I mean, he literally, I mean, George Bush, dude, tried to dismantle way more than what Trump has tried to do. So Trump has only succeeded in encouraging gun murderers to commit yeah. violence against Holocaust survivors and black people in churches, which, by the way, has been happening since the 60s and beyond anyways, you know. Uh, so Trump has actually not done anything with with all of his time here. And I hope people are learning the right lessons from this, and I think he'll be gone in in two years. But yeah, but the whole point of the no confidence vote is that you just can get rid of them in this country. Impeachment is almost impossible. They tried it with Clinton over something stupid. It was never going to work. And, you know, Trump may go to jail, but it's not going to happen until after he's elected. Um, And so I'm not really sure what to make of that. But I will say, man, I think, again, the scary part of Trump, I don't want to judge Oklahoma. I don't know that much about it other than through you. The scary part of Trump is not that Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas, and Arkansas voted or didn't vote for Trump, but that Pennsylvania and, like, East Coast and, you know, industrial Midwest states, which almost always vote Democrat, voted for him. That's what's so disturbing. And, Kevin, the only thing I can come up with is just the white fear of the minorities taking over, which is actually happening, and so is actually based on something real, but the response is horrible, if that makes sense. Oh, I agree, but I, I also think he, I mean, he did run a strong campaign to really talk about American first, and in those states that you're listing, maybe not Pennsylvania, correct me if I'm wrong, but are really historically had a lot of manufacturing jobs, all stuff that's getting outsourced. And he was really talking about that. I mean, maybe he is all blustery dialogue. Hopefully it'll be another two years of just blustery dialogue. I like that, by the way. Uh, but but I think he really did a job of, uh, you know, did some sort of work to appeal to them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it wasn't only white males voting for him. There were also lots of women voted for him, amazingly. Oh, yeah. Upper middle class suburban women. I'm always talking about this. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was just kind of we have been so um, entertained by reality TV that the idea of a reality TV superstar in the White House just sounds entertaining to a lot of Americans that they don't realize, you know, like the stakes are real. It'd just be like, well, shit, that sure will be funny if that Donald Trump guy was in the White House. That would be fucking hilarious. You know what? DC fuckers, who cares? That sounds like some crazy shit, you know? I mean, but that is part of it. Um, I mean, there was some, there was some like 15, 17 year old kid that garnered a bunch of votes in some state election on like a fake name. I mean, it was, it was like, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? It was like a prank Mm. name. And just because it was stupid, it was something, you know, like smell my ass or something. It was something ridiculous, but he garnered all these votes just because, People got a kick out of it. It was entertaining. 
America yeah. is one of the only modern sort of empires where stupidity is held up as a great quality for people. <laughs> and this is why Europeans, as you know, dude, being an Italian guy, puts the, turns their nose up as at, at us because we're so provincial, we're so backwards, and even among rich people who should be cultured, the sort of cultivation of, like, American, like, fuck you stupidity being an ideal is actually a thing in this country, and, and I think it's extremely damaging. Now, I do think the younger generation is hip to this more than we think, and is going to turn things around, but again, when you're talking about healthcare, education, and the environment especially the environment, these things cannot continue to wait. And that's why I'm so, you know, like, l- let me be honest, like the murdering of Jews in this country in the last couple of years has cemented the fact that like Jews are accepted if they weren't already, you know, like I- I- in the ethnic community in this country. But like, I, I can wait on that. I can't wait on, f- f- you know, fires and landslides in California, rising tides and hurricanes and so forth. Like, you can't come back from that environmentally. Everything else we can fix, theoretically, right? But the environment is going to be very hard to come back to from. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it's an immediate... Uh, threat. I'm experiencing it now. The air quality here uh, in California yeah. has been horrible with these fires. Um, and my friends who have grown up here have said, you know, when they were growing up, there were never fires like this. There wasn't a fire season where you had days of uh, shitty weather, basically. It's been like, you know, almost Beijing air quality last few days here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, okay. Can, yeah, can, the change is palpable. Can, can can I steer this towards our Wesleyan experience where we met each other and everything? And you don't want to talk about how possibly pharmaceutical drugs might be yeah. causing the uh, mass shootings, or well, well the spin, I, the, I, uh, <laughs> I think lack of pharmaceutical drugs is actually causing the mass shootings personally, but. That's my own personal experience. Maybe, maybe it's we'll, the wrong ones. I don't maybe know. Maybe we'll get there. Maybe we'll get there. I, I tend to think people that are on a good medical re- regimen uh, are, are healthy if they need to be. Uh, but uh, but can we? Let me just talk briefly because Kevin Haas. I've told this story before on the podcast with my friends all over the place. You were there junior year when I submitted an article to the newspaper. And Wesleyan, the Argus, that caused a major stir in the community at Wesleyan, having to do with my version of liberalism challenging other people's version of liberalism, essentially. Uh, almost got me kicked out. I mean, not literally kicked out, but like, you know, discriminated against for a few weeks at a time. You guys were wonderful, but you were there when I wrote the article. I couldn't believe I was actually submitting it. I still send it out. I, I think every year or two, right? To you guys. What was, what was the title? Like Mabuhai? Uh, Mabuhai 2004, again, the thought police strike again. I'll never forget. And my feeling was, Hey, I'm a heterosexual white dude. Why am I constantly getting ripped at this college for something I've never actually done before and being the punching bag and, you know, voodoo doll or whatever of everything everybody hates about, you know, white uh, heterosexual dudes. 
and I, I basically and basically wrote that in, in, in an article, Kevin. And you know what? People weren't too excited about it, and I, and I, I felt the, the the blowback for weeks after that, maybe more. Now, by the time uh, senior year came around, everything kind of straightened up for the most part. But I had been so sick of being told about what causes were okay to get behind and what causes weren't, and under whose conditions. And I said, "Fuck it." Um, and you know what? With me working with people from literally every continent and ethnic, you know, major ethnic group from around the world, uh, I think I knew of what I was speaking. I was maybe overly bold uh, and offensive in places where I didn't need to be. But in general, I do think that far left liberals have their heads up their asses, and I am happy to continue to point out that they have their heads far up their asses. Kevin Hoskod. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that there was a little envy there. Um, you know, before you had written these articles, there was an article praising some of your work. Um, and must we, you know, we should note that this college was really filled with a lot of uh, idealistic, aspiring sort of political activists, people trying to make, uh, you know, social, you know, trying to enact social change. But there was an article really proclaiming that here was a crew of white guys who had done an excellent job of making a positive change in the world with your Afrobeat Sudan aid project and basically named no, that you was later. all sort that of... That was later. That was later. That this was well before afterwards? this. Yeah. No, my article was well before... Modiba really? was just forming. We hadn't released it yet. But I know what you mean. Yeah. Oh, I thought that sort of yeah. generated this backlash because you were named as sort of... Oh, you know, everybody should look at... No, I was trashed later. I was trashed later, even though... No, the, I didn't know that was the timeline. Well, I thought let's, maybe they... No, here's the timeline. The timeline is the hosts of this particular Asian-American event who were very offensive and stupid came after me, but then the actual organizers, the people behind it, the actual Asian-Americans behind it, wrote an article in support of me and not them, and then that pretty much shut it down. But then the next semester when we launched ASAP, Afrobeat Student Aid Project with Modiba, they all came back at me once more for being the colonialist oh, the white man. Yeah, the great way father, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's what you get for trying to save the world, man. You can't think yeah. that you can you can know everyone's problems. Well, it sounds better than old man Brenner, which is what you guys called me for like three years. <laughs> so to go from old man better to the great white father, sure. <laughs> oh, by the way, you know I lived in an African village like eating bread for five months? Yeah, maybe I know what I'm talking about. Nope, you're a heterosexual white dude, so you have no point. And dude, this is my point with the liberals, is that it's like we're constantly saying, well, you're not as liberal as me, so you may, might as well be as bad as the conservatives and it's yeah, a whole yeah, which problem liberals are you talking about are you talking about the NPR it's the bernie hillary thing the it's the bernie hillary thing it's the people <laughs> in the bernie camp who's like well hillary's might as well be a republican so fuck her that you know that leads to all our problems and i saw that's why i saw this a mile away because i went through this in college as a person who by the way from any normal vantage point including my family who's like old school like fdr Democrats thinks I'm an insane leftist communist crazy nut and they're le- they're liberal you know to be considered like conservative at our school on these causes it just points to the lack of understanding of liberals needing to come together I think if you were being called conservative you're just sort of being called like too white like you're it was like you're 
your perspective doesn't count because you're white or something, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if it was conservative. What do you think? No, I think that living in Botswana in the fucking wilderness, speaking Sitsuana and living in South Africa and so forth, before that, I would have wilted under some of this criticism. <laughs> but after experiencing that, I was like, you guys don't know what you're doing. We need to, con- we need to solve AIDS in Botswana right now because it's a wealthy, well-educated nation, but half the country has fucking AIDS. So why don't you stop dressing up as ninjas and locking up the president of the college, Bennett, uh, President Bennett? Why don't you stop trying to, like, you know, kidnap him in some pathetic and completely unrealistic and ineffective political maneuver and start helping actual people in this world who's 95% of the world who actually needs help. That was really my point. And some people got it, you know what? And some of the people, dude, who came after me during that actually became friends of mine later. Some of them... Kendra uh, did not whatsoever, and continue. I don't really care, but I'm I'm all about a results. I'm a results oriented. I'm like Captain America, dude. <laughs> I'm results oriented. We got to make things happen. We got to help people who need help. And if you're gonna let ideology get in the way, then I just I don't have time for that. But that was the first time I really put myself out there, and I thought I was going to have to leave school for a while the way the way I was treated. But you guys, <laughs> even if you guys did not agree with me on all or even even some of the points you guys were very supportive of me speaking out oh no it absolutely made sense i mean you were calling out their their particular strategy for sort of speaking their voice and you're saying you know that's not appropriate in a sort of cultural celebration event and they're like it's not appropriate for you to tell us how to do our yeah, cultural, exactly. you know, exactly. event because you aren't Asian American. Exactly. And obviously, you know, you having spent time in an African village doesn't give you authority on Asian American culture. You were just merely pointing out, you know, that felt alien. I felt alienated. I didn't feel it. like you were. I was sort of helping you advance your cause. It made me feel alienated. Right? What did it say on their bodies that they painted? Yeah. What was the? Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you you you? <laughs> You just encapsulated in 20 seconds what I tried to explain over the previous, like, seven minutes. That was great. But what I was going to say along those lines was I was so happy that the organizers of the of the event came out and supported me, but I did not see it coming. I had no inside knowledge whatsoever oh. that the organizers were going to support me. I just spoke my mind, and, and all they said was, you know what? We can believe that a white heterosexual man can appreciate what we're doing in a non-colonialist, non-imperialist, non-condescending way. That's all they said, which was my point in the beginning, you know. Uh, but it's it's a fine line. It's you know, it, it's. But if anything, the actors of it, you know, they created a dialogue. Because look, just so many years later, oh, we're yeah. still talking about it. Yep. And yep. your response to that, you know, so maybe you know, bold actions can mm-hmm. create dialogue but hopefully in the white house it's all what do you call it blustery dialogue blustery yeah we'll go and yep. we'll go no further so uh, let's talk about travel for a little bit because you've traveled a lot we, we, we've established you spent a lot of time in italy i still kind of want to hear about why italy um and then other places you've traveled so because you are you are definitely not how do I put this we, we definitely know people friends and this is totally cool by the way no judgment there was no chance that they were going to study abroad anywhere that wasn't Europe. 
Whereas you, you with your incredible stamina and physical abilities could easily have studied abroad numerous times in third world countries if you had wanted to. So this is something I've never really talked to you about, about why Italy, I know you visit a lot of other countries. You know, I felt like sort of gaining something, coming close to fluency in a language Mm. was so amazing to be able to communicate in another language. Mm-hmm. And I felt after three years of being away from Italy, the first time when I was, say, 17, I was starting to lose my Italian. And that sort of scared me a little bit. I didn't want to lose it. Hmm. And so I went back just so just sort of not to not forget my Italian and to make it better again um, because of that attachment just to the, the fluency of the language. I think it's a Why? beautiful language. It is and a beautiful language. Italian and Portuguese are maybe the most Europe. beautiful languages on the planet. My question is Why? Why is the language beautiful? No, no. Why are you so obsessed with it? With perfecting it, going back to perfect it? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's something I really enjoy. It's satisfying to be Italian able to women. Just com- say it, dude. Just say it. It's the Bizzlecast. Nah, you can say it. Italian pop- women are spectacular. Just say it. They're crazy, though. They're crazy. I'm most, I mean, oh, all, a lot of Italians are very crazy, I think. Um... I think it was that. It was just sort of the satisfaction of doing something really well where people would say, what? Like, you've only lived in Italy for five months? Like, I I thought you had lived here for years, five mm-hmm. years at least, you know? Your Italian is so good. It was sort of that satisfaction of, wow, I'm, mm-hmm. I can get good at this thing, and I didn't want to lose it, and I uh, just kind of wanted to keep it up. And so, so that's sort of why I went back to Italy as mm-hmm. opposed to exploring uh, could, other places. So to be an objectifying asshole male... Um, I think Sophia Loren in her early days is the most beautiful woman ever to exist on the planet. I think (laughs) she is like spectacularly perfect. Like uh, Carrie Fisher in America. I mean, there's a few I can point to, but Sophia Loren as, as a young actress and model is like insane. Um, and Oh, let me ask you about this. So Italian men have a reputation for being like almost creepily aggressive with women. True or false? True. Yeah. 300%. And how do Italian women deal with it though? Cause they're so strong. Um, they're, they're just sort of habituated to it. So, I mean, if you don't bring an aggressive game, I think it's like this in various sort of countries where there's kind of this strong machismo, um, but sort of if you don't bring that same game, women mm-hmm. are going to think you're probably not interested mm-hmm. uh, because the game is so strong and aggressive. But not for all Italian men, you know, but let's generalize here and say, yes, Italian men act that way. So um, actually, dude, we were studying similar things without you realizing it because I've been studying Andalusia, Islamic Spain, uh, from college into the graduate level. Um, the Islamic presence in Spain, presence in Spain, but there's also a major, major Islamic presence in Italy, including uh, uh, Sicily and the coastal cities and so forth. And what Spain, which I know much better than Italy, so I can't speak to Italy, but it seems that Spain and Italy share the, we look kind of Middle Eastern in our hot, but we're not going to acknowledge the fact that there were Muslims that lived here ever kind of thing before, right? (laughs) I mean, they're both seemingly in huge denial about that fact. Yeah, they sort of want to, 
yeah, be white Europeans, but, but obviously for, you know, into some of our American history, right? Italians were not considered white, which seems interesting. But I would say, you know, in Sicily, Irish at least, at least present day, yeah. you know, Sicily really sort of embraces, I think, the sort of Muslim influence with like, you can find couscous in Sicily to eat. There's definitely Arab influence architecture, but I think it's very kind of uh, uh, out in the open. I mean, not to mention that they have lots of immigrants sort of landing at their shores all the time. So they're kind of dealing with the Im- immigration so issue. But one court, other issue, you asked me why Italy, you know, one yeah. thing was food. Uh-huh. That's what I want. Yeah. Good, slow food. Mm. You know, I've worked on organic farms on five continents. Um, a lot of my travels, I've done gardening and farming, and I'm very interested into food and where food comes from. And eating the food and putting it in my mouth, in my belly, it's such a pleasure that I share with, uh, you know, so many of uh, humans on this planet that have the privilege of getting yeah. to eat fun and interesting food. I mean, dude, it seems not a coincidence that the Romance language countries have the best climates, the most chill people, the best foods. I mean, Portugal, Spain, Italy, right? I mean, this isn't a coincidence. And you look at the Germanic countries, and they're just angry and cold and militant. You look at England and Germany, right, and so forth. Spain completely failed to hold on to any foreign territories past like half a century. Italy didn't even try. I mean, Italy is the most pathetically failed colonial country, which is a huge compliment to them. Because they're all living on the Mediterranean, right? And eating great food with great weather. I mean, in Roman times, you know, they were excellent imperialists. But then they sort of lost it. But in terms of, like, dividing up Africa, they were, like, briefly in Ethiopia. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. In the later times, I mean, horrible colonizers, as you said, which is a compliment because it's a compliment. Yeah. It is a shitty thing when yeah. you extract resources and oh, yeah. slaves and whatnot from other places. And by the way, uh, if you ask me personally, you know, best looking people and best food in a single country, I would say Lebanon, which mm. has been shot on by people all over the world for thousands of years because they're at the like with Israel slash Palestine slash whatever you want to call it at the you know, at the sort of fulcrum of the three major continents. But I mean Beirut was undoubtedly the undoubtedly the Paris of the Middle East before the wars of the seventies and eighties. Amazing food, amazing people, and so forth. The Mediterranean in general has that vibe. Um, talk to me a little bit about about where you were in Italy and which in which parts you like. Because honestly, I don't know that much about it. Mm. Yeah, in high school, you know, both times I've lived in the north, and that has that means something when you talk to someone in Italy. If I tell someone in the south that I lived in the north. They look at me differently. If I were to tell someone in the north that I lived in the south, they would look at me differently. You know, um, it says a lot. Uh, but in, in high school, I lived in a town called Bassano del Grappa, which is in the Veneto region, which is north of Venice in the foothills of the Alps. Totally beautiful. You know, when I went to live there, I didn't know a lot that of pork. towns <laughs> could be so beautiful. Say what? A lot of pork. Pork. Pigs, yeah, pork. and yeah. also polenta, a lot of seafood oh, yeah. there, actually being close to Venice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in college, I lived in Bologna, uh, in the region of Emilia-Romagna, and sort of central northern uh, Italy. But I also spent a month in Puglia, down in the southeast, which is like the heel of the boot, which has some very ancient uh, settlements there. 
uh, potential sort of cavemen, troglodytes, and Matera uh, in Puglia. Um, so I spent a little bit of time there. I spent some time in Sicily. Um, but I agree with you, something about that Mediterranean yep. area of the world, the climate, the history, the food, the beautiful people, um, the sunshine, the water, it's magical. Yeah, and the thing is, long before I went to Spain numerous times, I had spent tons of time as a kid and a young adult at coastal Israel and Tel Aviv and so forth. And then southern Spain immediately felt like home to me. I mean, in every Mediterranean country I go to, I've been to southern France, it's the same thing. It's just... Maybe it is the weather. It's the weather and the food. It's something, right? I mean, something ties it all together. I'm, I'm not totally sure what it is. I, I totally get why you are so into to Italy. Um, so what, wh- why don't we follow this line of thought a little bit about some other places you've, you've visited? Uh, and because being a professional travel person, but also personal it being important to you, places that you've checked out that, that you really enjoy. Because you and I have traveled extensively, but we've actually traveled to pretty different places, which is, which is cool. Yeah, I spent six months in India. That's certainly an interesting place, landing on the ground. I really could feel the culture shock, as they call it. It felt very palpable. Um, that place is not like the United States. No. Um, it is not as sanitized and clean, no, no. but just sometimes you feel like the ancient world just fell from the sky onto the modern world, where literally once at a stoplight, I saw an ox cart next to a Rolls Royce, for example. Um but also, yes, the the juxtapositions of the haves, the have-nots, the uber-rich to the sort of the uber-poor, the ancient, the new, mm. um, the colors uh, there. It's just an amazing place. The smells, the good smells, the horrible smells, burning plastic, smells that just felt like mm. if you kept breathing, you were going to get cancer in the next half hour. It smelled so bad. Um, this is an amazing place, you know, a birthplace of many religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism. Um, people are very compassionate, very religious. I felt like people were really kind. Um, well, in India, too, there's a saying where you must treat a guest like God. A guest is God. So being clearly looking not like I was from there, um, I often, and I'm being able to spit out uh, some words of Hindi, um, I, I was often given incredible hospitality by strangers, which is a pleasure. Um, I love being in the Himalayas. Um, there are sort of walking paths that are the highways up there where you get beyond the reach of roads where people have to sort of carry rice up to their villages and you can travel along these paths and just go like hop village to village up in the mountains. And that was really stunning. Um, but I've spent time in Southeast Asia, worked on like in a rice paddy, which I hadn't done that kind of agriculture before we were growing, you know, a grain and standing water and mud basically. So you have to make these, um, uh, irrigation channels and field. You basically irrigate these fields with standing water to grow your rice and transplanting rice was interesting. Um, so I had experiences on some different farms, growing different things in India and Thailand. Taught mm-hmm. kids English in Cambodia. Um, I really enjoyed just skipping around the the globe here. I really enjoyed being a traveler in Morocco. Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine. You know, talking about Andalusia, there's some similarities. Yeah. I love southern Spain. Uh, I spent time in Patagonia, also working on farms there. 
recently in August, I went with my company to Southern Africa uh, to where you studied in Botswana for a little mm-hmm. bit in Zimbabwe and Zambia. Oh, I feel really fortunate and pre- privileged and blessed it's to have been able to uh, keep my country count higher than my age yeah. and see a lot of places around the world. Yeah. That's expensive. But I will get- say to all those listeners out there, at least in the U.S., yes. um, you know, for a lot of folks, people feel like travel is a huge luxury that only the uber-rich can uh, do and have. And while having the time can be a luxury, but I feel, you know, I think sometimes Americans will drop a, tens of thousands of dollars on a pickup truck. But really to travel internationally to a lot of these places, you just need the cost of a flight. And it's so cheap there in India. uh I was sometimes getting hotel rooms for a dollar a night. Um, I spent in my six months of travels in India, like mm-hmm. $1,200 total in six months, something like that. Um, it's very inexpensive. So if you're thinking of traveling and you have the time, buy a plane ticket, do it. It's life-changing. So, so many questions. Um so, so you've been to Africa, the the cradle of mankind. You've been to India, the spiritual cradle of mankind, in, in a way. Um, do you do you try and be more of a traveler than a tourist when possible? I, I think I know the answer to this, but like, you know what I mean, like. You go Certainly. to a place, you kind of want to go off the beaten path a little bit rather than just do what's expected. Certainly. And I work for a travel company, a tour operator. And even as a travel company that caters to yeah. sort of older Americans, we try to do that even, get off the beaten path um, and create sort of immersive cultural experiences. But personally, as myself, you know, going to work on these farms, it gets you mm-hmm. into rural areas where you have to interact with sort of a populace that doesn't normally see tourists you go to small towns and villages where there are no starbucks and mcdonald's where you're maybe on a public transportation and the only person of your skin color on the bus and you're having to ask directions and the you know it says oh after the second set of train tracks i'm supposed to tell the bus driver to get off and then i walk three miles down a road and take a right and find this farm you know so it's an adventure having those experiences so yes of course uh, being able to have the time and dig in and learn the language, learn some language, even if you can only learn a little bit uh, to communicate some and uh, have some experiences out on your own. And also traveling by yourself enables you to meet more new people. If you're traveling in a group of people of your own nationality, you're going to speak your own lo- local yep. language. You're just going to yep. have meals with them. If mm. you're by yourself, people are more likely to say, hey, come join us. Who are you? What are you doing by yourself? Oh, come have lunch with us. Or Oh, we're, you know, visiting this town too, you know, come for a walk with me, you know, meet local people that yeah. way. Um, so absolutely. I'm, I'm a fan of solo spontaneous, um, uh, sort of immersive and meaningful travel experiences. Mm-hmm. even, you know, having a plan in advance and saying, I'm going to do volunteer work in this town as sort of my plan to go to the uh you know to thailand i'm gonna go to some islands but then i'm gonna go do some volunteer work or you know hook up with an organization and mm-hmm. um and there are a lot of organizations out like out there like that i i, I went around the world often with this uh, organization called woof which is an acronym for worldwide opportunities oh yeah farms. yeah go 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 yeah there's also um at one point in cambodia there were no wolf farms so i found this is a smaller organization called helpexchange.net. 
and I found a uh, volunteer gig. I've also heard of a lot of people using a website called Work Away, I believe is what it's called. And it's kind of like, what, but it's not necessarily organic farms. It could be like a bar on a beach where they're just saying, hey, come serve drinks. and We'll give you room and board. Or it could be help our orphanage or help, help us construct, uh, you know, bathrooms at these schools. It could be anything. But um, those can be sort of uh, just loose websites with contact info where you can plug into sort of meaningful things to do if you're traveling around the world somewhere. So my experience in Africa, I know I spent more time there than you, but you've been there is that it it clearly feels like the cradle of mankind. It's, it's so obvious that some combination of Southern central Africa would be the, you know, the, the cradle of, of humanity makes total sense to me. Um, and, dude, what, what some people don't realize is the reason Africa has all the big, beautiful uh, herbivores and carn- specifically carnivores, like the big cats and stuff, is that we as a species grew up at the same time as they as a species did in Africa. And so, like, the leopards and the lions and the snakes and everything, they were improving as we were improving as people. And so when we as a people went to Europe, for example, or, you know, Central Asia, all those big species were not ready for our, you know, our intelligence and our weapons and stuff. And we just murdered in all of them. But in Africa, they keep living because they were there during the early stages, which I think is brilliant. I mean, you know. I'm not saying an an angry lion or a, a you know a giant python or something isn't scary, but it is so clearly the place where humanity grew up, um, which I think is interesting. I don't know if you follow you know the various studies of like the you know bones and and fossils and so forth of uh, you know of creatures from from that area it wasn't something i was actively thinking about while i was there but afterwards but dude kevin man to make it more personal and we'll start heading towards some final questions here is the the culture shock of coming back from africa for me didn't hit me till months later openly and then it wrecked me i mean there was like a six month period between the end of junior year and early senior year where i was so filled with guilt and shame and so forth because of seeing what these wonderful people were having to go through in Africa. You know, I mean, it's not that I never explored poverty before, but let's be honest, like you go to a lot of the world, you have to deal with the fact that there are wonderful people dealing with, with poverty. Um, I, I don't know if you have any insight into this particular point. Yeah. Well, if anything, you know, it's not, sort of, yeah, or dealing with the fact of their poverty or dealing with your own guilt. I don't know. Or, or for me, if anything, it's the it's the takeaway of just um, a bit of gratitude that yeah. I am an American. My U.S. passport is so valuable. I can go to almost any nation on the planet, no problem with my U.S. passport. Most nationalities around the world don't have that privilege. Um, but also not having to worry about uh, where my next meal was coming from growing up or now. Um you know, so many things, little things that, you know, going to those places, you just really feel so grateful for the immense abundance that we have in the U.S. You know, I felt a similar thing, too, almost like just an extreme degree after uh, 
teaching English in Cambodia and having spent you know, traveling around India and Southeast Asia for about 10 months, I went back to California. Uh, I realized that my arrival back in the United States was coinciding with the Burning Man Festival in the desert. I reached out to some friends. They said, oh, you must come. We'll take care of your ticket. You should come. So after spending 10 months in Asia and doing all this volunteer work, staying in rural mm-hmm. communities, I went straight out to the desert to the Burning Man Festival, which is such a radical um, celebration and just consumption of material goods. People are partying their asses off, saving up all year and just consuming goods by, I don't know. Right, just, but it's also um, the ultimate anti-materialist display of spectacle. It's very, I wouldn't say it's anti-materialist, it's very material. Well, you burn everything, right? I mean, that's the whole point, right? Right, that, but just that, yeah. like, you have so much excess um, money and goods to spare that you can just create, you know, six-story effigies, uh, works of art, and just blow them up or burn them uh, just for the hell of it, for the party or the sake of artistic expression. You know, just to have these immense luxuries and privileges to do this coming from, you know, or like Cambodia, where they're still reeling from uh, the genocide of the 1970s and having lost like a lot of their population from that, and uh, it was just staggering. I felt it was it was certainly my least enjoyable Burning Man experience having mm-hmm. the, this that culture shock coming back into it. Um, that was a different sort of microculture mm-hmm. to jump into. So. Um, Okay, so I, I'll get serious here with the final main question, and then we'll wrap okay. up because it's been awesome. It's been great. I hope we do this again very soon, many times. But I do want to ask you this question: as we're talking about traveling, visiting different countries, which is my main issue when I wrote that article in the newspaper in college was the clean hands theory, which I do not subscribe to. Which is better to not do anything and not be offensive than to do something potentially to help people and maybe do the wrong thing occasionally, but at least get your hands dirty and do stuff. Because that was my experience in Africa and continues to be my experience in Africa, Brazil, and throughout the world is you have to get your hands dirty if you're going to try and help people. And I'm not going to respect you by saying, well, I haven't hurt anybody because I haven't touched anything thing you know what i mean it's like i haven't infected the situation because i haven't touched it i don't personally buy that and i think this is something that liberal americans you know especially those of us who have experience internationally or whatever have an international mindset don't really have a a, a hold on which is the non-clean hands theory which which is that you have to get your hands dirty to make things happen and risk that sometimes things will go to shit. But the alternative of not doing anything because you're worried about getting your hands dirty is essentially the Catholic Church (laughs) saying, don't do anything bad and believe in Jesus Christ and everything will be well. I mean, I don't want to put everything on the Catholic Church, but but I look at Westerners and white or non-white, Kevin, I'm like, you know, your desire to not touch anything because you're going to infect it and instead let it go to shit on its own, I think is a giant, giant, giant problem. But I don't know know like ethically how to give the he get your hands dirty theory uh, across to people because 
you know, in, in the conservative parlance or understanding, like, yeah, we're going to get our hands dirty and it's, we're going to turn everything to shit. And the liberals being like, we're not going to touch anything and hope nothing goes to shit. Does this make sense at all? Like, Yeah, I get you. However, yeah. go. I think also an issue is this idea of, well, just because I want to help and I feel guilty because of some sort of privileged status that I should have the opportunity to try to help and that because I want to help that my that the consequences of my actions will cause more benefit than harm right so just I'm just thinking some ideas of when sort of people from western countries were like yeah let's help let's send a bunch of baby formula to Africa we're going to help them we're going to send them baby formula well guess what maybe uh you know a mother's breast milk is better than that baby formula and by you know, maybe our sort of solution isn't always a real solution. So as long as, you, you know, you aren't creating more harm, I mean, getting your hands dirty, absolutely. Let's get our hands dirty. Right. But no, but you just pointed to the it. entire NGO problem, which is for 60, 70 years, NGOs have been feeding Africans instead of teaching them and providing them with farming implements and how to farm. And so, they're, you know, people are dependent on us for donating money and, and, and food. It's such a horrible cycle. It's so obvious that this isn't the way to help people, but this is still the way that people seem to feel like they're going to help people or, or should help people, which is right. problematic. Yeah. So if, if, if helping is sending baby formula, no, don't help. Keep your hands clean. But if helping is something real and genuine and it's giving someone skills or it's mm -hmm. improving, the, you know, yes, let's mm -hmm. get our hands dirty. But it has to be done in sort of an mm -hmm. intelligent way with an outlook at long-term consequences and actually um, – you know, really understanding what impact your so-called help is having, if it's really helping or harming, you know, at the very least, let's, let's reduce harm, you know, at the very least. Yes. Yeah. 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 And Plato would agree. Um, I'm a big Plato guy. Uh, yes, absolutely. So, okay, dude. All right. We'll move to some fun pop culture questions to end up. I would love to do this again, but I, 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 uh, I appreciate all your time. So I have to ask you, I'm a ginormous and spend way too many podcasts talking about Star Wars. Are you a Star Wars person all? Do you have nerdy interests, any of these things? Hell yes, I love Star Wars. Yes! What's your favorite Star Wars movie? Empire. Man, the last couple I saw like blew me away. Or maybe not the last one, but the second to last one. But dang, I don't even the know. Last if I Jedi. Know what yep. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. the last Jedi blew me. It just blew me away. I loved it. It was just so Lord. fun. Every moment of it was yes, yes, yes. You know, I want to see it again immediately totally. after I saw it. But of course, the first or the four, five, six, that trilogy. Of course, I mean, just um, is amazing. Uh, Return of the Jedi as well. So good. Um, so good. Why? <laughs> I mean, Star Wars is so clearly a liberal message. George Lucas has is, is been open about his liberal politics, even though he sold it to Disney. But the people in charge are still liberal liberals. It's so clearly a liberal message. You know, Rogue One, The Last Jedi, these movies have been you know, uh, scolded by the right wing for being so left wing and liberal and so forth. And well, blah, blah, is blah. having a concern that people are making money on weapons manufacturing 
I don't think that's like a liberal message. That is a human message. That is a humanitarian message. Yeah. That is a universal message yeah. that if people are making shit tons of billions of dollars, Lockheed Martin, etc., on making weapons that kill humans and destroy lives, that's yeah. not some liberal message. That's human. That's mm -hmm. humanitarian. That's for the planet. Mm -hmm. That's for the world. Mm -hmm. I take exception with you even calling it a liberal message because saying that we don't want weapons manufacturers just become billionaires and to have their agenda running our countries, running our planet, that's a human message, not a liberal message. So, mm -hmm. so <laughs> that's my opinion. But I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that if they can take you know this amazing piece of entertainment and then remind people and say, hey, you know, Killing people in war is actually bad, and people who profit from it mm -hmm. should, you know, we should talk about that, and we should talk about who's making money from war. Um, I think that's a very important conversation, and that should cross and partisan lines. That shouldn't be a liberal message. And that's why Rogue One is my personal favorite because it's so clearly speaking truth to power and, and being terrorists. Essentially, I mean, that's the thing. The 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 ant the anti SJW right wing assholes hate Star Wars because movies like Rogue One support things that viewed for a certain through a certain lens is like terrorism, you know. Um, and you know, one man's woman's freedom fighter is another man's or woman's terrorist, you know. And so we have to keep that <clears> in mind. But I will never forget when Rogue One came out two months after Bush was elected. I came on my podcast and definitively said, first of all, this movie is an A movie. It's spectacular. But B, it's going to be appreciated even though Trump just got elected. I said on my podcast, this movie is telling people that we need to be ready to sacrifice and give ourselves fully to fight things like Trumpism. And that's the thing. The whole idea of sacrifice and giving of yourself and not being selfish is a very Star Wars ideal, which the right wing in particular does not agree with, which is all about selfishness and doing stuff for yourself and, and so forth. It's not a coincidence that the right wing has gone after Lucasfilm and Star Wars in particular over the last few years. So I'm glad, so happy to hear you say that. Uh, but so that yeah. is very I mean, I'm not cool. going to grab a blaster and try to sacrifice my life to stop the blustery dialogue, uh, you know, in the White House. But... <laughs> Like but if we had to walk across a bridge arm in arm and not knowing what was going to happen to save the, the the goodness of humanity, like we would do it, you know, and like the right wing would never do or even consider doing something. I mean, dude, you watch Return of the Jedi, literally Last Jedi, any of the movies, the amount of suicide runs that they do for the cause is insane. Like the rebels are constantly going on suicide runs to, for the greater good and the Empire can never expect it and never sees it coming because they would never do something like that you know but like you got the a-wing crashing into the star destroyer and return of the jedi with the, the suicide you know i mean obviously all of rogue one's a suicide run the last jedi starts with a bunch of suicide runs for the greater cause like you know like that's talk that's believing in something i mean the right wing is trying to get us to forget about believing in anything well, and see, not I, care. Think, I think it's problematic this continual division of like the right wing the liberals that because okay. you know we're all humans and i think we need politicians who can talk to and communicate with all humans who have mm -hmm. a humanistic view sure. of what is right what is wrong uplifting our society uplift you know with but 
I think that the divisiveness, the that wing, the, you know, the right wing, the, it just makes it more divisive um, and doesn't bring us together. Because I think all in all, people do want better lives for mm-hmm. themselves, for their neighbors, for our nation. Um, but I suppose, but the <laughs> fact that children of all ages, genders, and ethnicities these days love Star Wars and specifically the right wing is constantly attacking Star Wars, I think is instructive, is all I'm saying. I'm not- and, and that's kind of why I bring it back to the, or at least the politics of the, the sort of, let's call them the Christian, you know, the Oklahoma Christians, because okay. in my experience, even those who vote sort of on the right wing, they have sort of this goodness in their hearts that isn't directed towards the the right direction in the voting booth because their um good intentions get usurped by these that's what i'm saying this is uh, this is a story sorry sorry dude i gotta pull a bizzle i'm pulling the bizzle this is exactly what star wars is about is i am not the most important important person right it's it's a lack of selfishness and realizing that there are things bigger than me and more important than me that's what i love about it in terms of kids and education and messages in addition to good movies right is that it's not all about me 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 i want my guns i want my freedom blah 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 it's about other people it's not about me sorry yeah yeah so so you appreciate that. So that's good. I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah, and I must say some of the recent ones, I just don't remember which movie's called what, but I loved all, all the recent ones. I loved them. Um, I Something online, you know, clickbaited me into watching a fan movie recently, and it was not so good, but everything Rogue official. One. Rogue One's the best. Yeah. Uh, has opinion. been yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, yep. yep. I really enjoyed awesome. the Star Wars stories. Awesome. Awesome, dude. Awesome. So, okay. Let's end with a quick music hit and we'll sign out because I could pick your brain forever. I hope you have well, one, one movie. Go. I wanted, while we're talking, oh, talking yes. Go. Media go. Movies. Go. This is an old, you know, this is not news. Have you seen Idiocracy? I have seen Idiocracy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the parallels between that fictional it's so movie brilliant. I know. and what's going on now in our nation is yeah. tragic. Yep. Um, yeah. but you could probably spend an, uh-huh. an episode just talking about that. Uh-huh. Have you um, ever seen the movie called The Idiots? No. It's, it's a foreign movie. It's by the um, super bizarre director La- Lars Van Trier. No. Who I'm did uh, Dancer in the Dark. Oh, yeah, I love that movie. Uh, he did... Um, uh, wait, hold on one sec. He did um, Dogville and well, Dancer in the Dark's the main important one. Blah blah blah. Anyway, he's he's a crazy fucking Danish, you know, modern art director. But he did a mu- movie called The Idiots. Okay, and The Idiots is about a bunch of bougie post college have too much money and nothing to do kids who get a big house like you know like we had with 84 high essentially but they decide that they're going to go out into society and act like retards in in the old school sense like act like fucking morons you know retarded whatever you want to say i'm not trying to be offensive i'm just being honest in terms of how the movie is presented (laughs) 
and see the result of people. And, you know, it's all about subverting people's expectations in everyday society. But then they start not knowing how to act with one another in their little home community as they're doing all of this and when they're being real and when they're being not is really, really interesting. I thought maybe that was a movie you came across. So Sounds cool. I wrote it down. Yeah, yeah. List. I'm all about darkest. the list. Just write it down. Okay, put it on my list. Just put it on your list. Put it on your Get list. Things done. To do. So list. give it to us. Anything else? TV, to watch digital streaming, movies. Anything else? Oh, things that I've viewed recently. Yeah, we recommend to business guys, listeners. Yeah. Can I talk about paper books? Or are we yes. just talking? About- oh, absolutely, paper books. I love paper books. <laughs> Most recently, I read Michael Pollan's "How to Change Your Mind." Uh-huh. What the new science of psychedelics teaches us about oh, consciousness, dying, addiction, you. depression, and transcendence. I love you. Amazing. Love so you. incredible to read someone put things into words that I never thought could be put into words and just express um, personal experiences and research on psychedelics in a total mainstream way that would appeal to I think more of the mainstream in a way that psychedelics has only been accessible more to like the counterculture in the past. Really amazing. I also read this book I really loved, recommended by some family members, Empire of the Summer Moon, Quanah mm. Parker and the Rise and Fall of the Comanches, the mm. most powerful Indian tribe in American mm-hmm. history. Um, of course, the Comanches were in Oklahoma and they were sort of like the tribe that could not be conquered. Um, Trail of Tears. Yeah. Super interesting. Post Trail of Tears. Trail of Tears was the Native Americans in the Southeast getting forced to move to Oklahoma. And then there are all these tribes speaking more languages than ever been spoken, sort of one location in Oklahoma, okay. Indian nation. But then even west of that, there were still the wild Comanches that they could not sort of tame and capture because they were on horseback and uh, were incredible warriors and were just sort of like devastating the white countryside. Um, and But they lived on the buffalo. So once the buffalo were decimated, they sort of had no more resources. But Quanah Parker was half white, half Comanche. His mother had been kidnapped as a young girl and then raised as a Comanche, but she mm-hmm. was sort of, you know, she was white and Quanah was sort of a mix. And then he kind of became similar. It's a crazy story, crazy story. Life on the high frontier, you know, Did- 1800s, the war, and the, it's pretty amazing. It's very entertaining. And interesting. Did you- did you see the movie Wind River? No. Okay. <laughs> Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen about being a, the, 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 the biggest uh, Native American reservation, Wind River, and and uh, um, Wyoming uh, is really interesting about a, uh-huh. a, mur- a, a series of uh, rape murders of Indian girls, and uh, which of you know of. I would say, of course, but still horribly, sadly, is happening a lot. Murder, rape of, of Indian girl, undocumented. Um, but the lead two characters are still white. I'd just be interested to hear your opinion about how they handled that. But, yeah, it's... Yeah, I don't know. No comment. Yeah. No comment. Soft <laughs> yeah. pass. Hard pass. Hard pass. Hard pass. That was a soft, a soft pass. <laughs> a soft I would pass. also strongly recommend just gotten into... I don't know when the show came out, but, yeah. you know, on the interwebs... Yeah. you just discover something mm-hmm. uh vice's uh show called hamilton's pharmacopoeia okay very interesting i, I mean let's that. let's be honest the the medical industry right now is more and more embracing not only good weed but psilobin which is the main drug and mushrooms which 
I think is going to be the miracle drug of 10 or 20 years from now. It, it, it seems more and more clear people with severe cases from everything from terminal illness to the severe depression seems to respond to psilocybin. I'm even talking to my parents about this, which is mushrooms, by the way, people, if you don't know what I'm talking about. We're moving towards natural solutions to these major problems as opposed to just chemicals, you know, from a plant, which, you know, is something you and I have always kind of talked about of like, we're, we're, you know, we are, we're practical in terms of wanting people to get the help they need. But if we can do it uh, naturally, right, that's, that's the way to go. I think it has potential positive implications for well individuals mm. in addition to those suffering from PTSD, depression, oh, absolutely. Uh, oncoming death. I mean, we're all going to die someday. No, uh, not me. But the medical <laughs> industry, <laughs> well, the visible, you, you are achieving immortality, I'm sure. <laughs> Certainly in your words on the Bizzle cast. I'm Hugh Jackman in the fountain, Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah and, and in michael pollan's book how to change your mind he talks mm-hmm. about sort of all the kind of the current research it's a very recent book it just came out this year uh all the sort of current research on mdma and psilocybin and lsd and different things uh you know positive applications in the medical world and for therapists and sort of the underworld uh, sort of the uh black market therapy i guess um underground therapy um very interesting stuff yeah well i i I didn't say this earlier so i'll say it now maybe we'll talk about it more but it's not that i would have never discovered everything from yoga to wheatgrass without you but you were definitely helpful in in getting me to to those there especially with yoga um was very memorable in the freshman year, early sophomore year, our, our yoga sessions. With Franya, may she rest in peace, man. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, this R. world R. is so cruel that a, a, a person like Franya could, could pass away at her age, her level of beauty inside and out. I mean, that was a really humbling experience all around, but uh, I, I certainly treasure that, that we had it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, kind of you to say those words. I'm glad that, you know, I may have had some positive immediate effect. But, you know, as you've taught me, Bizzle, you got to get your hands dirty sometimes. Got to get your hands dirty. Yeah. And you were like, dude, it opens up your lungs, man. Didn't <laughs> <laughs> need to go to yoga class. I've got yeah. my hands real dirty. Though. Yeah. Oh, man, we bought the honest tea, you know, a little some honest tea with us. Oh, God, I miss that. I miss that so yeah. much. So, Kevin Haas, thank you so much for being on. You are literally, you know, like Smiley Dre in the, in the main close friends. You have an invitation at any point. But seriously, thank you for being on. I know it seemed rambling, but I wanted to get right into the meat of the conversation. And we did that. And so I'm thrilled. So thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. All right, buddy. So check out uh, Kevin Haas. Do you have any sites or social media you want to share, or you're you're off the grid mostly? Meh, fuck it. I'm on Not there. Not so much. But 
you know. All right. Well, if you want to see amazing photography, contact me and I will send you some Kevin Haas photos. He has amazing pictures, including one of the best pictures of me ever, actually asleep on a boat, uh, which is, it would not seem like a great picture opportunity, but is amazing. Uh, is a great <laughs> photographer. And so wish you well and everything. And we'll be talking soon. Bizzlecast listeners, thank you so much. We have been the Bizzlecast. You guys have been awesome. May the force be with you. We'll get back at you soon. But for now, the Bizzlecast is out.